Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning, and it is a beautiful, beautiful day in Michigan. It's not really beautiful. It is rainy, drizzly, and nasty, but I hope the weather is better across the world because this week I have a guest for you that is calling in uh, in the middle of the night from his offices in, oh, yeah, his offices in Hong Kong and China, and I want to talk all about today the entrepreneur journey internationally and what it looks like to work with other cultures. Some of you are probably listening and in your business, there might be some element, whether it's trying to outsource a product, whether it's having uh, services or an editor across seas or something like that, you may be thinking you already work with different countries or you're thinking about that. And I just want to jump in with my guest today, who is David Hoffman. He's a serial entrepreneur like myself and like so many of you. Um, he's made, built many multi-million dollar companies and his company is called Global Regency and he's shipping products over 200 million uh, to 40 different countries. He's been the CEO for over 15 years, and he's an expert in specifically China sourcing, supply chain work, private labeling, brand licensing, and he's worked in worked with licenses and services for huge brands uh, like Cuisinart, Kmart, Walmart, Bunnings, Aldi, uh, and has offices in six different countries. So this is the guy again that knows how to do this stuff. When I thought about getting my first outsourcer in the Philippines or in India or in China, I had no idea where to go, no idea how to start, and I just knew it would be a nightmare on my own. I'm glad to, to bring on Mr. David Hoffman. David, how are you, my friend? Great, Matt. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, doing outstanding. Let's start by placing your accent. How, is it a combination of places, or did you grow up static in one country for a while? <laughs> static in one country, and I'll let you take a wild guess. I mean, it sounds South African to me. You got it. Come on. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> well done. Most people say it's New Zealand, so you nailed it. Yeah, no, it, it's, they're somewhat close. I used to do a lot of work in New Zealand and put on events over there. And yeah, you don't have the same, they switch the eyes for ease and you got to get that down. <laughs> exactly. If you hadn't lived in New Zealand, most people make that mistake, but you're right. There are some little nuances that give it away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's those little tiny things. It's uh, like, oh, my hep hurts. You know, my hep hurt really hurts. Oh, that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a wee little bit of pain. <clears throat> Actually, that's starting to get uh, Australian. Anyway. Exactly. I, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I fell in love with, um, well, let me start by saying I've never been to China yet. Um, I fell in love with some Asian cultures. We actually did our honeymoon in Japan. Drastically different, I oh, know. I love it. But yeah, I just fell in love with Asian cultures and even the South Pacific. I used to work a ton in Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. So I love that side of the world. Um, how did you go from South Africa to deciding, I want to, did you just branch out and say, I want to go somewhere, anywhere besides here? Or was it like an opportunity that pulled you in? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's an interesting story because I was, I think, 25 years old when I left South Africa. And what actually happened was, I was, I was with this public company. We had a public company at the time and there were a lot of changes going on. There was a merger going on and I got this opportunity to move out to Hong Kong. Literally, the plan was to come out for one year. Um, we, we had a sourcing office here. 
um, as, uh, under that umbrella of the company and we were going to unbundle it. And I had this grand plan to come out here for one year and then I was going to move on to Australia. My dream was to live in Australia. A lot of South Africans try to do that. And I thought, okay, this is how it's going to work. And 16 years later, I never left. <laughs> I just got sucked into, as you say, the culture, the East, um, just business opportunities here. And I, and I just always say, you know, I, I, I am where I'm meant to be. That's a really, really great way to see things too, because it's probably true. Yeah, you, it, very you, much so. And it's the last place I thought, I mean, I was adamant, it's a year and I'm out of here. There's no ways I'm staying. And um, I just couldn't have called it more wrong. It's so like that with, with so many things in life, isn't it? You know, we're like, I'm going to do this job for the period of time where, you know, when I was 17, I got my first real career job in the mortgage business and yes. working with these brothers. And I thought, you know, I started off telemarketing and I thought, I'm just going to do this for like a month or two to get some money. I'm going to figure this out. And then it became exactly. a, you know, a whole career season for a decade. When, exactly. you, first, when you first landed there, um, what were some of the, what were the biggest culture shocks and what did you find actually was easier and flowed easier than you expected? Matt, I, I don't think anything flowed easier than I expected. I think when I first <laughs> got here, <laughs> I, love I it. think, yeah, yeah. I think maybe the nightlife scene was a lot better than I expected, but, um, you know, on a business level, I, I just, um, it, it was hard, you know, culturally, um, you know, the, you know, Western management are quite different. We, you know, we're very outgoing, you know, we speak what we feel, we say what's on our mind. We can be, we can be aggressive and hard and kind all at the same time. And, and, you know, what I found at least with the Asian or Chinese culture, I should specifically say is, you know, there's a hierarchy structure and there's a, and there's a culture of saving face, you know, and just being polite and saying yes, when you really mean no, just because you don't really want to offend or insult anybody. And, and I really found that difficult um, because I'm used to people being straight up with me um, and being straight up with people. And, and, I, and, and, and it just couldn't be more different here. And I think it took me a really long time to adjust to that and to kind of to cut through that and, and, and find ways to manage within that framework. When you first landed, again, um, just get a little bit of the backstory for Hong Kong and for leaving South Africa. Did you yeah. grow up in, in a family in South Africa that understood entrepreneurship? Was that something that was like in your heart early on? You know, were you like selling candy at school? And, or as I always say, my, my, every listener gives me grief on social media all the time, at Matt Browning, if you want to follow me. Um, yes. But they always give me grief about the, the one question I always ask is, did you have a lemonade stand? Were you that kid who like figured out how to make money? Or were you just in a career trajectory and you were going to work for this company forever? And what, no, what were your parents like? And yeah, so lemonade stand. And then what was the family dynamic like? Matt, Matt my, my story was a little bit different to that. My, my family, we had a very close, warm, loving family, but we, we had a very financially unsuccessful family from, from the age of about nine or 10. My father's business went into liquidation. And at a very early age, you know, I witnessed our family losing everything that we had grown up loving and caring about, you know, from homes and cars and things like that. And um, it, it left quite a big dent in me um, and, and it became very disruptive to the family life. And so from about the age of 13, 
I, I just started becoming so focused on business and how to do things for myself and how to not kind of came over defensive and how to not let, I didn't want to be in that situation ever again. So, you know, I, I was very lucky that, you know, from the age of about 16, when I started working, getting part-time jobs, um, I, at a very early age, you know, got a job where I found a really good business mentor um, who just kind of sucked me in and, and, and it actually sucked me out of university, stopped the studying just because I, you know, I found this mentor that, you know, managed to grow me inside a company that I was working for. And um, I, I was lucky that I managed to then learn about how to be an entrepreneur through that experience, I think. But it was very much the, the financial struggles as a youngster that really made me, you know, determined to not be in that situation. And it's, I still feel that way. What was your first money-making venture that you remember? How old were you? Well, no, I was 16 when I started working at the grocery store. <laughs> at the grocery store? Um, yeah, I started working at the grocery store packing bags. And then I started working behind the tills. But I must say, in about six months, I was running that grocery store. The supervisors were leaving the keys with me. I was running between the bakery, the deli, the tills. Um, you know, I, I realized I quickly had an aptitude for things like that. and. A lot of people depended on me and I made myself, I always feel like one of the best things you can do is wherever I worked, I made myself more valuable to them that they relied on me and depended on me so much. And they got used to me being there. And that always kind of gave me a strength because, you know, um, people didn't want me to leave, didn't want me to go. And, and, and I just feel that's a great lesson, you know, make yourself valuable to whatever you're doing. And you also mentioned when you started going kind of cross department, I think this is a really important aspect because even if, you know, someone you're listening to this conversation and you don't have your own business and you're thinking about it or, you know, whatever, let's say you're in that job market. Um, there's always that entrepreneur heart that you can bring to an organization. And when you're saying that, man, I relate because in my first, you know, work with my two real estate mentors, Joe and Ed, Right yes. away, I just started going, oh, I see there's like this telemarketing department and there's the processors and there's this and there's the relationships. And I just started kind of helping in different areas. For Absolutely. you, is that the kind of thing, when you said aptitude, I love that word, is that the sort of thing that you feel like you just really have a natural propensity for? And if so, do you believe other people can learn that? Is it a mindset you can take on or is it more of like a DNA sort of thing? What's your take on that? I, 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 I don't know the right answer. I feel like it's a mindset thing and you can learn it. Um, you know, for me, like learning all those other departments, I, I was happy to do it partly because, you know, the, the more you knew and the more you learned, the more you got paid. So it was a financial motivation. But I mean, I definitely can say, you know, to this day, working those cross departments, um, everything you did just became easier and easier because the more you understand about how the other areas work, you know, the easier your job becomes and the easier things become. And I think once you kind of reach that, that, you know, that, that kind of tipping point where you get it and you understand it all, things become a lot easier um, for you and you can do the same things with less effort and energy. Um, I, 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 I even tell my son, he's, I say like my second job, which was working in the accounts department, I'm opening new accounts for a big retail group. I say that experience in that department was one of the best experiences of my life because I saw inside how big companies work and their paperwork, their administration and their archiving. And it just blew my mind. And, and I still apply so many of those principles to things I do today because I know what's possible. 
But such an education you can get there. How old's your son? 11. 11, man. So my son's eight, eight and a half, you would say. It's very important right now. <laughs> uh, no, so it's a big age. <laughs> but, so at that age, uh, does your what's your dream for your son if you have one? Or is it, hey, do whatever you want to do? Would you want him to work in the business with you? Would he take it over? Would you want him to go his own way or be a doctor? So, like, what do you see in your son at this point? So, so I, I always say to him, I want him to find what he's passionate about as quickly as possible. Because like, if you find that, like, I think we're lucky we're living in an age now where it doesn't matter what you want to do or what you like, you can make a lot of money and be very successful doing it. So I just say like, find what you really love and what you're really passionate about. And let's just like double down on that. To me, like the, the worst thing is to, to, to find your passion too late. I think the sooner you find it, the better. And that's what I kind of try to tell him. Um, but like, wow. I, and I do say to him, like, all the time I go like, you got to learn, you know, coding and software because, and design, because that's just, it's the language of the future. And if you can't do that, you don't know what's possible and you can't even manage people around you. And I actually have come to the conclusion that I don't want him working in our business. Um, I think it would be better for him to first work in another business, another company without that, that kind of personal connection and let him feel what it's like to be, um, a regular person making it on his own and when the time's right and he's got the right skill set or he's got the right passion if it makes sense to be involved in my business you know then absolutely i'd love it but i don't think i want it to be his first experience i i, I love this you don't want him to come in at 16 and be the boss's son and then no you know, work yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and and i appreciate that i, I uh you know I, I speak on stage for a living and i you know people ask is val is your son gonna take over and be the next you. And I'm like, I really don't think he's going to be the next me. I think he's going to be the first him. And exactly. he's very it's different great. than I am, you know? Exactly. And, and I think it's important for them not to, not to be under pressure firstly, you know, maybe they're going to do bigger and greater things. <laughs> we, let's, let's not assume that what, that what we're doing is the right thing for them. Yeah, very much. You know, in, in uh, I, I know we're going to talk about your book in a second too, but I, I thought, um, the last book I wrote, The Firebox Principle, was about entrepreneur drives and entrepreneur origin stories. Ties in with the podcast and the radio show, of course. But yes. I real I didn't realize how many people had a driving force to overshadow like their fathers or their parents. Uh, like a yes. Rupert Murdoch, for instance. You know, his father was very successful, but then he comes yes. out and goes, "Yeah, I'm going to take this over at 22 and really make it something." And he, you know, blew it up way past Adelaide, South Australia. Um, there's yes. so much. Did it, I don't know how to ask this, but like when you said your father went through a meltdown in business and yes. you're young at that point, do you yes. feel like, and it might be an unfair question, but go wherever you want with it. Do you feel like he's bounced back from that or did he move into another season or is that something that kind of still like sticks and stays, if you know what I mean, like in life? Well, the hard I, think thing. It's, I think it's different for everybody. I think in, in our case, it's stuck and stayed. Um, and it was just my kind of driving force not to be in that position and to kind of get our family out of that position. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen other people bounce back and learn from their mistakes. You know, what, one of the things I always feel like if I look at my personal situation, my family's personal situation, I greatly believe that like what my father lacked in his business career was a great mentor and you know the right people the right advice to mentor him and guide him because you don't know what you don't know and you learn all the time 
and and I think like I was lucky to find that person in my life um, and and manage to develop it. And like I look at a lot of the mistakes he made. It, it, anybody would have made those mistakes, right? It's just there was no one around him supporting him, advising him, motivating him to carry on or to do something different. And and that's like sad in a way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. Well, it's good to hear, uh, in, you know, the success story, too, of the children and the next generation. So I'm excited for you and for your, your son. I'd like to switch gears and, and really get into the working in, in China. I'm getting excited as I'm looking at your website here. And guys, you can check it out <laughs> sure. if you're not driving. It's globaltqm.com, globaltqm.com. And you can see everything about David and what the, the business is. So my first, the, the big China question I always think of is when I think of China, I always think of made in China. And I think of if I don't have a big products or big promo products I need, I feel like I don't need to do any business there. That's probably not accurate. What else do, what else does that bring to the table, the, the relationship with China and working with someone like you outside of products? And we can come back to products too, but I know there's more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think when you start, uh, doing business in China, purchasing from China, finding manufacturers in China. You know, there's a big cultural difference between the East and the West, A, in how business is done, how relationships are managed, and just kind of getting to the nitty gritty of the details. You know, there's language barriers, there's cultural barriers. And I think um, people underestimate that. And, you know, I've certainly found, you know, through the years like that, ju ju just having people in the know on the ground to accelerate that, you know, saves a lot of time. You know, it saved us a lot of time in the past. And, you know, the whole reason Global TQM actually started was because we, we you know, we handle huge um, supply chain projects in China for retailers, for large brands. Um, but I couldn't really help a small entrepreneur do it. But I had loads of friends coming to me, people I know just saying, hey, speak to Dave, he's the guy in China, he'll help you with your problem. And they'd like call me up and I'd say, well, look, let me get one of my people to call your factory, see what's going on. And we'd solve it in an hour and they were struggling for two weeks. And it was really simple things. Like they just weren't communicating right with the suppliers or they didn't understand something or there's just misunderstandings. And my staff would call and speak to them in Chinese, come to me, tell me the story, I'd wrap it up in an hour. So I really like, I struggled for years to try to find a way, like how can I bring what we do um, to kind of small businesses or small entrepreneurs, guys who can't afford a whole infrastructure in China and pay a fortune. And, you know, over the years, it took me a good two, three years to figure out how to model global TQM, you know, and, and that's the goal there. I try to bridge that gap. Love that. So let, let's talk about some of the reasons why I might want to do something in China. Yeah. So, so I, I'm startup entrepreneur and Again, like maybe I don't, and we again we can talk about products. Um, but let's say I don't have a product business. I don't need to get you know my new widget outsourced or anything. Um, but yes. you know I, I need I need technology. I have websites. I have you know customer service people. I have lots of things. What are some of the best reasons to uh, to get through and start either hiring, whether it's Chinese companies or people? Why would someone outsource for that? And what's what's the best place to go for it? So, I mean, I, I think China is still predominantly, um, from a business perspective for the West, um, a, a sourcing ground to find manufacturers for products. Yes. Um, yes. I know a lot of people are starting to outsource some software here. 
But I do still think that, you know, with the, 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 there's still language and communication barriers. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not sure. Where, I, I think, you know, we do software development in India, for example, and some in the Philippines because the language is just quicker and easier. So I still feel like there's two choices, really. It's one, purchasing products from China and finding manufacturers here. Um, or it's trying to find a way to sell your product in China. And that's like something people don't think about a lot, but it's a huge market here. And the Chinese... Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. What, what kinds of products are, are like, would, what kinds of products would go really well to maybe blow up and have a huge market to sell in China? Yeah, because I always think of it reverse. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so the Chinese um, um, consumer here actually love quality products. And if you look at Japanese products are huge in China. Um, in fact, a very good friend of mine just launched a, a, a website in China with all products made and sourced in Japan. And, and their whole focus is selling products into China from Japan because the Japanese love, sorry, the Chinese love Japanese products because the quality, the craftsmanship, they, they actually know and appreciate that. They love German products, for example. They love Korean products because they, you see, the Chinese consumer understands manufacturing actually and they understand what low quality is what good quality is and they actually appreciate these foreign products coming in so if you if you got good product or access to good products from your countries um i think china is a wonderful opportunity and it's a lot easier now online to do that that is incredible yeah so in reversing the roles if i want to outsource and pick up products What's the difference between going to like an Alibaba or something like that, right? Where I go, you know, I need to get 500 widgets. Um, yes. sh when should I go just to whatever website and just buy the things versus have a relationship with a manufacturer? Is it a volume size? Is it a quality thing? Is it a price thing? Um, what, would make, what would make me want to go get a relationship versus just buy wholesale from some website? So I, th I think if you're going to be doing something regularly and consistently, you definitely want to have a relationship um, because a relationship kind of ensures you get, well, it's the first step, I should say, towards getting consistent quality and reliable deliveries. Um, I think ordering off a website like Alibaba, you know, it's got its share of risks and it depends, you know, it's, you, you don't know if you're dealing with a manufacturer or a trading company. Um, you're not sure if the sample they're sending is going to be the same as production. So you, you, you would want to check the goods at the factory and do an inspection before they leave. Um, but I think it's about like consistency. If you, and I think building a relationship with suppliers is always good because you get new ideas through that. Like you might start off with product A, you find a good supplier for it and you find out, oh, they're manufacturing a whole lot of other products. And you go, oh, I can do two, three products now. So if you're really serious about selling products, you do want to build relationships with suppliers and visit them and visit the trade shows. I'm actually at the Canton Fair now in China, which is one of the world's, if not the world's biggest trade show. And it runs over three, four days. And we must have 10 people running around the show looking for product ideas. Looking for product ideas from the trade show vendors. And then what would you do with those? Well, we'll take them. We'll order samples. We'll show them to customers. We'll test some of them online. And we'll hopefully bring them to market. Maybe we'll modify some of them and customize them a little bit. But I mean, there, there's some great ideas. And there's a lot of, you know, the manufacturers are coming up with their own ideas all the time. And, you know, it just leads you in different directions. 
So you could be like, if, if you're good at, you know, online marketing or you want to do Facebook ads or a Spotify store or what, ha- not Spotify store, what a Shopify store. Shopify. <laughs> yeah, yes. not Spotify store. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking for things like that and you are good at, you know, SEOing websites or at doing advertising, you could easily, what you're saying is you could easily head to the trade show in China, find a great product that you didn't have to invent, know the sourcing, build a relationship. And then you do the marketing, selling, bringing it in. Absolutely. And, and I, I see products all the time at these shows and I go, why is nobody selling that? It's like awesome. Can you, can you think of an example for me of like a product you saw that, you know, that it's okay to share about because you have, you know, you're already doing it maybe that, that maybe I haven't seen before. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't even know if you've seen them before, but you know, you know, all these little micro small projectors, they're becoming quite big and popular now. Yeah, I was seeing those in China five years ago thinking they're amazing. Why don't people do this? And like now, like a lot of people are doing them. And even those balanced scooters, you know, those two-wheel scooters that you hover around and zoom around on. Hoverboards. Those were in China for like two years before they became popular. And I just like realized like there's almost this like one to two-year lag between people starting to show things at the trade shows and then somebody twigging onto them and and making them popular by doing the marketing. So I think there's a massive opportunity if you're a good digital marketer, SEO guy, to, you can do a one product landing page and market market the hell out of it, you know? No if you, joke. If you've got that talent. Well, you know what I love about that too is it's not too late and it's never too late. Because when you're talking about that, I'm sure someone's thinking, oh yeah, hoverboards are already done or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or fidget spinners, right? When <laughs> when our kids were getting into that. Exactly. People, but every year, yeah. every year there's more stuff, isn't there? Because every year it takes time for enough marketers to get a hold of a new idea. And it's just because it, it came out and one guy puts a landing page doesn't mean it's going to be going viral. It's going to take time to do that. Exactly. And, and, and not one guy can have a hundred percent market share. So, you know, if, if you're doing your own marketing, finding your own traffic source, building your own customer base, you, 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 you'll get business on it, right? That, that's the, and there's a lot of guys doing that, I must say. You're getting me excited here. Why, why have I not been trying to source products from China and market them here? I'm going crazy right now. This is exciting. Well, well, well <laughs> my challenge is the opposite. I've got all these products and I'm looking for great digital marketers that can help me launch them and do amazing stuff online with them. <laughs> well, if you heard it here first, you heard it here first. David Hoffman is looking for great digital marketers. If you are the, your, your dream is to have a business where you have, again, like a Shopify store or a ClickFunnels page or something like that when you want to sell a product. And I'm assuming you can also organize, whether it's through a middle person or from them to do direct drop shipping or um, yeah. that sort of thing. You don't have to be ke- keeping inventory of 10,000 hoverboards. You don't have to. I mean, you can do smaller orders. I mean, I, I give a lot of advice to a lot of new Amazon sellers who I consult with and tell them often like rather buy smaller quantities of a product um, and pay more than sit with dead inventory. And, you know, you can do a test run, a trial run. And um, we've, we've actually backed a lot of ventures like that, where we believe in a product and we find guys that can, they can create the sales, you know, we can even finance inventory in some cases. So, you know, we're happy to partner up with people, you know, it's all about talent and the right people, Matt, we're entrepreneurs. That's very exciting. So, how, how long until you are the next shark on Shark Tank? <laughs> I don't that's know. what it sounds like, me. man. I love. <laughs> Let's see if we can get you introduced, man. This is great. Well, guys, you can follow David Hoffman again uh, on the main website, Global TQM. 
You can, of course, follow them on Facebook, Global TQM on Facebook and all social media. But if you head over to the website, this is exciting because I've been checking this out right now. And a couple of things they do is, you know, um, number one, you have right on your page, which I think is so cool. You can schedule a call and just have a conversation and learn what you want to learn, ask what you want to ask and find out whether it's about products, whether it's about services, whether it's about selling in China, buying in China, if there's... If, if the Chinese landscape and business is anywhere in your up your alley or you should be knowing about it, you can just schedule a call with David and his team and they'll chat with you. And you also have a free uh, book on here. This is really cool. It's called China Sourcing for Startups. Um, so I'm just getting into it now. Your, um, your company sent me a copy. Um, I, I, I didn't realize there was a link right to the book before. So I started getting into the book. It's quite cool. There's, you know, all about packaging and artwork. There's about you know, how to get what you expect. And like you talked about with the sample versus the actual product run, how to do payments, uh, protecting your intellectual property. I mean, it goes on and on, literally like everything you need to know about working or importing or sourcing from China is there. Can you tell us what your favorite part of the book or why someone wants to grab that? It's free, by the way, on globaltqm.com. Just grab it. Uh, again, if you're driving, make sure you pull over, but you can grab that right now. Yeah, what's your favorite part of the book or what's the real reason why someone wants to get into that? Because it's exciting to me, but I know you wrote it, so I want to know <laughs> your perspective too. <laughs> I wrote it a while ago, so I don't remember all the details, but um, Matt, I, I just think it's a good all-round book for people. You know, it covers everything from like A to Z on what it takes to get involved and things to be aware of. So I think if nothing else, it's great if people are just thinking about it or toying with the idea of sourcing products from China and want to know more about what it takes, you know, that's, that's a great little easy guide to read, you know, and then from there, you know, they can talk to people like us and we can handhold people through it. And as you said, those calls I book, I do a lot of them myself. Um, I've got a, another guy, Simon, who does a lot of them. He's very knowledgeable and experienced. And I mean, those are completely free calls. And even if people just want to bounce ideas off us or, or get, you know, or just, you know, see where to go, what to do next. It's all free advice. So like if you want to answer nine questions to weed out bad suppliers, you understand the Chinese cultural differences, uh, different product areas to focus on. And and there's so much in the book. I love it. Excited. So again, it's China sourcing for startups. You can grab that book and it's free on David's website, globaltqm.com. And you can follow him on Facebook, globaltqm.com. David, thank you so much for making the time. And I know it's getting late. I'm going to let you get to bed soon. Um, final kind of question as we, as we wind down here is, you know, looking back in your, especially in your family history, if you could change anything about your story growing up, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same? It's a good question. I think I would leave most of it the same. Um, there's a part of me that says, would I go back to South Africa and do things differently at, on the home ground, you know, and, and re, rewrite that story of how it ended. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. And, you know, you've got to look forward. Got to look forward. Words to live by. David Hoffman, thank you so much for your time, my brother. Matt, thanks so much for having me. It was a great interview. I appreciate it. That's the interview with David Hoffman this week. Again, I want you to remember to go out to globaltqm.com and you can get his free book. You can get everything you need for that. Follow him at Global TQM uh, on Facebook as well. And remember, 
follow me if you haven't already, because we're always going to put up cool interviews and leadership, you know, memes and things that, you know, just, just get you excited and wake you up in the morning. Plus, you can actually see what my eight-year-old son looks like. It's on my Instagram, at Matt Browning. Make sure you follow me on all social media there. And if you haven't already, if you're listening on the radio, make sure you head over to iTunes, Spotify, the correct Spotify, not Shopify, Spotify. <laughs> and, uh, and you can subscribe download, rate, and review the episodes. And you get two episodes every single week of this show, The Driven Entrepreneur. So enjoy your week as usual. Get out there and crush it. Goodbye.